Hey, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Enjoying your summer? All right, you better because winter's coming. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. I'm just, just teasing. Just wanted to be the downer for today. Um, have, you ever, have you ever done something that was just kind of half-hearted? Like you, you, didn't, you didn't put your, your, your full effort into that certain thing you were doing? I, I'm just going to speak hypothetically. This has never, ever happened at our house. So I'm just going to speak hypothetically here for just just a minute. You ever ask your kids like to, to take out the garbage and it's like five days later, they'll eventually do it. Or, or you know, you say, well, what about the recycling? They're like, well, is someone else supposed, supposed to help me uh, with, with the recycling? And, or, or maybe maybe you got your report card and, and the teacher said, you know, the, the effort was mediocre at best. You, you could have gave more effort for that. There's, there's been times that, that we've done things that we just haven't given our best effort. We know what we're supposed to do. We, we know what the requirements were, but we just didn't do it. I, I can remember I was uh, on the swim team in high school. I swam when I was really young, and then I swam a couple years in, into high school. And, uh, you know, swimming, is a, if, if any of you were swimmers, it's, it's really a lot of discipline. We would swim five days a week from three to seven after school every day. We'd do an hour of homework and then dry weights and then two hours in the pool. And, and there were some days I just did not feel like going to practice. I mean, I was just, just didn't feel like it. And we'd always warm up. We'd do 20 laps of the pool or 500 yards of the pool. And, and one day I just did not feel like being at practice. So I was really low fin. I wasn't doing my best. So I, I thought during the warmups, I saw our coach kind of leave for a minute and go in the office. And I go, well, I'm just... What? Don't judge me right now, okay? So what I, what I did was, I was in a lane. There's just one or two other swimmers with me in that lane. I went super slow. And what I did was, when they would lap me, I would just cut under the lane line and go behind them. And so it looked like I was doing the whole thing. And um, don't, listen, don't judge me, okay? So, um, and the coaches said, I thought, this is great. I wanted to do the whole warm-up. And so I kept cutting. The guys were like, you're not doing it. I'm telling on you. You need to. I said, just And um, so it was like the last 50 yards. I cut under the lane line. And out comes the coach. And he sees me cutting under the lane line. He goes, Jerice! And I'm like, oh, man, he caught me. So he made me stay after uh, practice. I ended up doing 1,000 yards, 40 laps of the pool after everyone left. So I definitely uh, learned my lesson not to take uh, shortcuts uh, in swimming, especially uh, with our coach. We, we need to remind ourselves what we put into practice will show up when it counts. And, and what we've been doing is we've been, we're, we're starting this summer series looking at the, uh, the book of, of Judges. And um, Judges, it's, it's a very interesting uh, book that we uh, read in the Old Covenant and, and it's, it's a, in the Old Testament. It's an interesting book of, of a time in is, Israel's history where they, they just come off really this great victory. Um, they're, they're moving through the wilderness. God takes them out of Egyptian bondage for 400 years. He promises them that he's going to make them a great nation. He takes these people who were enslaved for hundreds of years. And he says, I'm going to take you to this land called Canaan. And through this land, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and through the tribes of Israel is going to come actually the savior through the tribe of Judah is going to come the savior of the world, the Messiah. And, and what God does, he takes them out of bondage. And he brings them into the wilderness and he makes this covenant with them. Like saying, he says to them, you are my children. I am your God. I'm, I'm going to commit myself to you. And he gives them commandments that he desires them to follow. The commandments were not so much a bunch of rules of don't do this, don't do that, as much as they were, but they were, they were ways of protecting them. 
protecting the relationship that God had with them. And so God gives them these requirements, but something happened when they got into the promised land. They, they just didn't, they did it kind of half-heartedly after a while. They, they didn't fully commit to the ways of the Lord and their hearts began to wander. They began to go away from the Lord. And so God gives them this wonderful land and he says, listen, I want you to drive out the enemy before you because I know that the enemy there, they serve other gods. And if you're not careful, you'll begin to worship these gods. And what these gods will do is they'll drive a wedge between my relationship with you that I desire to have with you. And so God desired to have this personal relationship with his children, to do great things through them, to bless them. But they just kind of stopped serving God and they started doing things half-heartedly. They weren't putting into practice what God required them to do. And so they were supposed to drive out the enemy, but they didn't. They were warned not to worship the gods of Canaan, but they ended up doing that. They kind of just did things half-heartedly. And as we were going through the book of Judges, I, I want us to go through the book of Judges, not, not just to look at Israel and say, oh, look how they disobeyed God. But when we look at Israel and their wanderings and, and their apathy towards God, I want us to see that um, we can be a lot like that in our lives. That there are times in our lives that, that we, we know what we ought to do, but we just don't do it. And, and, and God's desire for you is not just to follow a bunch of rules, but God's desire for you is that you would have a relationship with him, that it would be a joy to follow the Lord, that our obedience to Christ is not some type of obligation that I have to do, but it's an obligation that I want to do. Do you guys realize we get to serve Jesus? That, that is actually a privilege to serve the Lord and to honor him in our lives. And I think what happens in our Christian walk, we start walking with the Lord for a while and then we start getting baggage and we start to do things out of obligation and compulsion. And it just like, my walk seems so dry and I'm just, you know, and other people try to lay guilt trips on me and they try to shame me and they try. And then after a while, it's like, ah, I just don't want it anymore. But that's not what God desires for us. He desires to look at our relationship with him as a privilege. And so what happens is we're in Judges chapter three and, and what begins to happen is they, they begin to lose sight of God and what he's done for them. And so what I want to look at, I want to look at, start off this morning by looking at Judges chapter three, verses five and six. And basically what we're going to see with Israel is, as they're in the promised land and they still have some of these uh, foreign nations around them, um, what they ended up doing is they ended up saying, hey, if you can't beat them, just join them. So it, they started intermingling with them in their culture and their people and their gods. And this really started to water down their relationship with the Lord. Look at Judges 3, 5, and 6. as It kind of gives us an insight here. It says, the Israelites lived among the Canaanites. Here's all the different ites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites, Right, all the ites. And, and, then, and then listen to what it says. It says. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons. And look at what it says. What did they end up doing? The very thing that God didn't want them to do is they began to serve their gods. 
So how, how did they get to this point? Well, Joshua was a great leader. Joshua was one of the leaders that led them actually into the promised land. And he told them, listen, as we possess the promised land, he said to them, listen, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And Joshua told him, listen, if you can't serve the Lord, then, then serve whatever God you choose, whether it was the God of, of the Egyptian gods or the Canaanite gods, but, but make, up, make up your mind. And it's clear at that point that they already started struggling with the culture around them, that they already started struggling with the gods around them. So we go from Joshua's generation who were half-hearted and struggling to a generation who basically just didn't know the Lord. And Judges chapter 2 explains this for us. It says in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. That's a good, that's a good translation there. It, what I want you to see there, it's not that they just forgot about God, like who's God? Who, who's the God of our ancestors? Who is the God that delivered us from Egypt? It wasn't that they completely forgot that. They just didn't acknowledge it. They, they just didn't care. It says, so it says they grew up who did not acknowledge or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. So here was their problem. What they stopped doing is they just stopped doing God. They just stopped doing God. They're like, we don't really care. We're just kind of apathetic. We know we know these great stories, but what began to happen is it wasn't real for them. They didn't have a real encounter with God for their own lives. They didn't embrace what God did for them and how God brought them out of slavery. They got into this land of Canaan and they got comfortable. They got comfortable within their culture. They got comfortable with all the things that were around them. And they just simply didn't acknowledge God anymore. So we see this apathy towards God and they lost their, basically just lost their awe of God and what he had done for them in the past. I'll tell you what, it was, man, worship was good this morning. There's this, there's this sense, I think, that we can lose in our lives the longer we become Christians, the more we can lose our awe, our, our awe of God. I think the one thing that can derail your walk with Christ is when you forget that our God is an awesome God. I think when we forget what God is, because it's so easy, if, if, if you've been raised in a Christian family or you've been brought up in church your whole life, it's so easy just to be around it all the time and then to kind of lose your awe. For some of you who, who, who came out of really difficult things in your life and God saved you from just tremendous things in your life, you're like, man, my God's an awesome God. My God can do anything. Have you ever met someone like that? They're just like, man, my God can do it. My God is awesome, you know? And you could just see that God is awesome in their lives. That there's this awe that they have of the Lord. And I think if we're not careful within church, we can get used to just doing church and doing religion and going through the motions and doing our devotions and more, which is all fine and dandy. But if we lose our awe of God, we can stop acknowledging him. And we can just do church and do Christianity without a reverence and an awe of God and his saving power. And they lost that awe of God and his saving power. That, that's why God never wanted them to forget and, and keep telling the stories of how he delivered them from Egyptian bondage. So they didn't recognize God in their lives and they just became apathetic. Listen to this statement. When we ignore God in our lives, what we're going to end up doing is we're going to fill our lives with other things. It's just, it's just a fact. 
When, when we ignore God in our lives, we're just going to fill it with other things. How, how many of you can relate to that before maybe some of you that you weren't serving the Lord and, and all of a sudden all these other things filled your life and it's like, man, these things are just leading me astray. They're, they're, they're not fulfilling the promise that I thought that they would give to me. And when we stop serving the Lord, we're going to fill it with other things in our lives that can be so detrimental to us. In so many words, God wasn't a priority for them. And when he's not a priority, we forget about him. And without God, we fill our lives with other things that just can't deliver. It's all about priority. It's all about putting things in their proper place. It's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy our lives or the things that we do or sports or hobbies. The problem is when we make those things ultimate things. When we feel like, hey, this thing is going to fulfill all my desires in my life. And then that thing doesn't desire and it leaves us shipwrecked. When we place our priority on God, he puts everything else into right perspective for us. Those things don't have the allure that they used to have in our lives. Because all of a sudden now we're thinking those things can't deliver. That Maybe for a while it made me feel good, but then I got to chase something. We're always chasing something, aren't we? And then I got to chase this and I got to chase that. See, when we come to Christ, he puts all that stuff in the right priority for us. So without God, we fill our lives with things that just can't deliver. And so at the end of chapter 2, the author gives us an outline of basically the book of Judges. And here's the outline for the book of Judges. Judges 2, 16 through 19. Let me read it for you. Here, here's basically the, the outline of Judges. It says, The Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. So obviously, because they didn't drive out the enemy around them, they would come, they, they would succumb to their enemy's power, and then they would live under this bondage, and then they would cry out to God. And yet the Israelites did not listen to the judges or these leaders that God raised up, but they prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked, ready, here's the word, in obedience to the Lord's command. So they stopped walking in obedience to the Lord's command that he set up for them. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by the oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. How sad. And then they went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. And so we will, as we get deeper and deeper into judges and as we study the different leaders that God raised up, we're going to see this pattern of judges. And here's, here's the circle or here's the pattern that we see. We see them just turning away from God and then God is angry. Then they're oppressed by their enemies and the people cry out in repentance. Then salvation through this chosen judge or this leader comes up to deliver them. Then there's peace as long as that judge was alive, there's peace. Then once that judge dies, they go right back into the same circle again. So it's this constant merry-go-round that we're going to see as we, as we um, dig into the book of Judges of, of the apathy of Israel and how their hearts truly weren't turned to God and they wanted to deliver. And then, but for that time when the judge lived, uh, they would live at peace in the land. But the minute that judge died, they would go right back to their same ways again. So what, what will Israel do? Will they serve the gods around them or the judge that God has sent them? Because there's a difference between the gods that they turn to and the judged that God used to save them. And this is a picture of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Here's what God does. God gives them something they don't deserve. 
Does Israel deserve to be rescued? Over and over again, God rescued them. You think God would just say, you're on your own now. I'm done, right? I'm just sick of this turning your back on me. You're done. But I want you to see that God sending a deliverer is a sheer act of his grace. And this is a picture of God sending us Jesus Christ. None of us merited his love or his grace or earned it and deserved it. Every single one of us, the Bible says, we have turned to, turned to our own way. But God demonstrates his love towards us that while we are still sinners, what does God do? He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And so that's a sheer act of God's grace. They didn't deserve it. They broke the covenant with him. Yet God hears their cries. And out of an act of his grace, he, it's going to be wonderful when we look into these different leaders because they're not the typical people that you would think are leaders. And I love the people that God uses. God uses anyone who comes to him and says, God, I want to be obedient to you. He doesn't care about your background. You know, he, he doesn't look at your, all the things you've done, did do or didn't do. It's amazing what God can do through a person who answers the call of God in their heart, in their life. And so despite their unfaithfulness, God chooses to rescue them. So Israel didn't merely stop worshiping God. They started worshiping other gods, a combination of maybe a worship with God, with idols. It was kind of a little potpourri of just a little bit of everything. And so Israel faced really two significant problems when they began to water down their faith. The first problem was the problem of compromise. And so here's this first problem of compromise. And what compromise does is, is that have, have I made concessions in my life that are really out of the will of God? And so they made these concessions. God told them, don't worship these other gods. But then they made the concession to begin to, 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 to intermingle with them and their culture. And it began to water down their walk with the Lord. So there began this, this, these small steps of compromise. Now, now listen to me closely. The, we make compromises in our life. It's not these huge, big choices. It's all the small ones we make that are out of the will of God that eventually will lead to our demise. And so Israel started making all these small compromises, not listening to the Lord, and then eventually they were out of God's plan and out of his will. So there's a problem of compromise. The second thing is the problem of lordship. Who will actually have control over my life? God wanted all of Israel. God wants all of you. If he doesn't have all of you, if he doesn't have all of your heart, God knows the proclivity of our heart to wander after other things that will only hurt us. And so this is the problem because the problem in our lives is this. We can so easily lie to ourselves. Have you ever just lied to yourself or tried to convince yourself of something that you knew was out of God's will? And you, you just try to justify it a little bit and you try to, you know, well, maybe this is what God's word means. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about that? Like, you know, this is what God's word says, but then you say, well, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Maybe it means this because what we're doing is we're trying to justify the way we're living that we know is out of God's plan, but yet we know I'm not in complete obedience to the Lord. So I'd rather try to manipulate his word than come into obedience with the Lord justifying what I know isn't the right, the right thing. Um, growing up, uh, we had a, a grocery store that was very close to our house. And um, to get to the grocery store, you could, you could go out our backyard and there was railroad tracks and you could go right to the grocery store or you had to go out the front of our subdivision and it would take like two to three times as long to get to the grocery store. So you could just, we had a little trail and you could cut through our backyard and get to Harriman's grocery store. 
um, right there. And, um, and I can remember um, we had a fence around our yard. We had a pool and we had a fence. And so kids that would want to get to the grocery would cut in our neighbor's yard to get to the grocery store. And so our neighbors growing up weren't exactly the most friendliest uh, people in the whole world. They weren't very kid-friendly uh, people, couple. And so what they end up doing is they end up getting a dog. They end up getting a German shepherd, a three-legged German shepherd named Lucky. No, I'm just teasing. I think he had four legs. Um, and uh, so Lucky was on this, you know, the, the thing that you could run up and down the clothesline, you know. And uh, Lucky actually was a good dog. He, he, Lucky would bark, but Lucky wouldn't do anything to hurt anybody. So they thought having Lucky, but it didn't stop people um, from, from cutting through um, their yard. But we had this fence, and so people couldn't do it. But really, the fence was a protection for our pool and so on and so forth. It's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting that... Um, Sometimes uh, we see fences as inconvenient. You know, why is this fence up here? What, what, what are they keeping me from? Do not touch the bench. Just paint it. And what do we end up doing? We want to touch it. Is it really wet? Oh, it is wet. You know, we don't, we don't like signs. We, you know, and, and we know that fences are there pretty much for our protection, right? Um, fences... Around an in-ground pool are a good thing, especially if you have little kids. Um, I like, I think there should be more fences around the Grand Canyon. We've seen so many accidents. Um, it keeps you from falling 3,000 feet. That, that's a good thing. I, I like guardrails or fences on highways, especially when they're near a cliff. That, that's, a, that's a good thing. It's protecting me something. I, 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 I think guardrails on bridges are a good thing. They're there for my protection. you imagine going over a bridge and not having absolutely any guardrails or fences and you're driving over it or trying to drive over, you know, maybe the 104 bridge over the Arundelquite, uh, the Arundelquite Bay Bridge in the middle of winter during a lake effect storm and there's no guardrails? That would be real fun, right? How many cars would slip off that, slip off the edge? I mean, th- those, those are good things. See, God, here's what Israel didn't realize and here's what we don't realize in our life. God gave fences to Israel, not to keep them from something, but to protect them. To protect them from themselves. God gives us his commands, not to suck the joy out of your life, but to protect you from yourself because God knows you better than you know yourself. And when we follow our heart, do what your heart says. Right? Get you into trouble every single time. Don't follow your heart. It will get you into trouble. That's why God gives us his precepts and his commands so that we might know him because he knows us better than we know ourselves. God gives us guardrails and fences in his word to protect us, not to keep us from fun. I like what uh, G.K. Chesterton says here. He says, don't ever take a fence down until you know the reason it was put up. Some good wisdom right there. Some really, really good wisdom right there. See, we may not like God's standards, but God does have a standard for purity. I may not like it, but God has a standard for our sexual purity. And I might lie to myself and say, well, that's old school pastor. That's, you know, that's Victorian, blah, blah, blah. 
It's old school to think that we should wait for the covenant of marriage. And I don't like that fence. And so I'm going to take it down. See, what it really comes down to is not that God's trying to take joy out of your life, but really what it comes down to, am I willing to obey the Lord even when it doesn't seem right to me? Even when it doesn't make sense to me, God, am I willing to obey what your word says about my sexual purity? Even when it doesn't make sense to me or even our culture is dictating something polar opposite to what your word says. Jesus, please do this for me. Can you just go back to what Jesus did for you? Can we go back to the cross and just say, Jesus, you died for my sins and you did everything to reach us through your love. And so you're not requiring anything from me that you first did not go through for me. And if you're requiring this for me, then you're going to give me the strength and the power to go through this and to give me the ability to be obedient to you, even though it may not make sense to me. And we have to be careful because the minute we start listening to our culture and what the world says is where we get into trouble. So the reason why God put that fence up, you're thinking, well, why did God put that fence up? The reason why God put that fence up, because he doesn't want anything to ruin our relationship with him. And he knows the area, whether it's our purity, whether it's our thought life, whether it's our integrity, whatever those things are, God says, listen, I've put these stipulations up because I want to protect you and I love you and I want a relationship with you and I have things that are so much greater for you than this world could ever deliver to you. And some of you may be thinking, well, pastor, that, that, that ship has sailed. You know, I've made so many mistakes in my life. I didn't do it right. I want to tell you today that there's hope in Christ, that there's forgiveness in Christ, that he does make us a new creation, that he takes the things and the brokenness and the bad decisions in our lives and he redeems them for his purposes and his glory and he restores us in Christ Jesus. That's the hope of the gospel message, that Jesus came not for good people but for sinners. And we can start anew and afresh with the Lord and saying, God, I'm going to start obeying you in these areas, even though I didn't obey you in these areas for years. I can start obeying you now and listening to your word. And that's what God desires for us. See, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't do it. You're going to love one and hate the other. And Luke records what Jesus said here. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and you'll love the other. You will, uh, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. So you need to ask yourself, why does God have those standards? And I would tell you to study the Bible for yourself before you start tearing down fences. You might be here thinking, well, pastor, you know, um, it's hard for me to live in obedience in this world. Yeah, but you know what? Listen, it's through Jesus' strength that gives us the ability and the power to obey him. And it's nothing to do with me being self-righteous before God by saying, God, look at me and look at all the things that I don't do. And right, we become really self-righteous. We can become really self-righteous in that way. But my obedience to the Lord comes out of a desire to want to please him now. See, the more you recognize the cross and what Jesus actually died for and our wretchedness and our waywardness, the more grace becomes attractive in your life. 
If, if I, listen to, if, 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 you know, if, if you forgive little, you'll be forgiven little. If, if you understand the greatness of what Jesus went through for us and how we didn't deserve his death, that we should have died, that he did it in our place, that he became our substitute, the more grateful I become. And so now it becomes a privilege to want to obey the Lord because my motivation is not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of love and appreciation and gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's the type of relationship Jesus desires to have with each and every one of us. Jesus didn't come for perfect people who have never made a mistake, but for sinful people who need a savior. So listen to this statement. We compromise when we accept some parts of Jesus' teaching and we disregard others. It's another area of compromise. See, it's good for us to wrestle through these issues, to be open to others that you trust to speak into your life. Because it's the small areas of compromise in our lives that's going to eventually lead to our greatest downfall. And lack of accountability will always result in compromise. Every single time. If I'm hiding things in my life, if I'm not open with the Lord, if I'm not open with close people that can speak into my life, if I'm hiding things from my spouse, it will always lead to compromise. And it's a lack of of transparency. And so how do we deal with, with dealing with our waywardness at time and our obedience at time? How do we deal with that the correct way? I like what Jerry Bridges says in his book, classic book, The Pursuit of Holiness. And here's what Jerry says, and I think this is eye-opening. This is such great wisdom on how we deal with our sin and our disobedience at times. Listen to what Jerry says. He said, too often... We say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It it might be good if we stop using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. When I say I'm defeated by some sin, I'm unconsciously slipping out from under my responsibility. I'm saying something outside of me has defeated me. But when I say I'm disobedient, that places the responsibility for my sin squarely on me. May we, in fact, we may, in fact, be defeated. But the reason we are defeated is that we have chosen to disobey. We, we need to brace ourselves up to realize that we are responsible for our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. We need to reckon on the fact that we died to sin's reign, that it no longer has any dominion over us, that God has united us with, with the risen Christ and all his power and has given us the Holy Spirit to work in us. Only as we accept our responsibility and appropriate God's provisions will we make any progress in our pursuit of holiness. I think, that, I think that's a great statement. What Jerry is saying is, so many times we say, well, I was defeated by that sin. I was blah, blah, blah. Or I had victory. I've got victory. Man, when we start saying things like, man, I got victory, you know, we're ready to fall off the edge of the cliff. What he's saying, it's all about obedience and disobedience. It's owning it. 
Here's the reason why I didn't do, the reason why Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do that God says in his word is they were simply disobedient to what he said. They clearly understood all of God's commands. He clearly spelled them out for them. So the responsibility was on them to obey it or disobey it. See, it's taking ownership for my life and not blaming everybody else for everything that's happened in our life. We have to get to the point to where we say, God, I'm responsible for my walk before you. And am I, am, am I obedient to the things you're calling me to? Or am I turning a deaf ear to you when you tell me to do something that you require of me and I don't listen to you? See, my hunger to know God will reveal my heart As I open myself up to God and the more self-aware I become of my flaws, the more God can use me, can use us. It's only in that place that we can discover the deep richness of God's grace and his love. See, here's the thing. God doesn't want self-righteous people. He wants self-aware people. The last thing God wants is more self-righteous people running around saying, look at what I do and look how great I am and blah. That's not what God wants. See, to be self-aware, we understand that we were slaves to sin and God, through his undeserving grace, brought freedom to us through his son, Jesus. That's what it means to be self-aware. We can never forget where we came from and the lengths God went to in order to reach us. And this is the reality of the book of Judges. They forgot. They forgot it was God by his grace that brought them out of slavery. They forgot the mighty acts of God. They forgot it was God who made a covenant with them to never leave them or forsake them. They forgot where they came from. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget the lengths that Jesus went through to reach you in his love to save you. The moment we stop recognizing that and acknowledging that is when we turn a deaf ear to God. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. See, the thing that God wants is God wants all of you. He doesn't want a part of you. He doesn't want a Sunday you. He definitely doesn't want a Monday you. You guys are grumpy on Monday. I know you guys. I am too. That's, that's the God. You can have my grumpy Monday God. You can have that, that person, right? No, he wants all of you. He wants every part of you. And here's what I love about relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows you already. He knows what you thought about last week. He knows that you're impatient at times. He knows all of that. He knows that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make a mistake today. You're going to make a mistake tomorrow. But here's what God wants you. Take ownership of it and say, God, you know what? I was disobedient there and I need your forgiveness. I know that you don't, you don't want to shame me to the point that, that I can't walk in freedom in you because I know it's the freedom in Christ that sets us free. But here's the thing. When we take ownership of it, we say, God, listen, I was disobedient. I didn't listen to you there. And I need your forgiveness. If it's with someone else that we've caused to stumble, that we led astray, or that we acted impatiently with, listen to the Lord in those areas. God may be calling you to say, and I know he is, to say, hey, make it right with that person. Humble yourself and say, I was wrong here. And I didn't do what the Lord required of me here. And I need your forgiveness. 
See, that's acting in obedience to the Lord. The thing I love about Jesus and I love about the book of Judges is that God never stopped rescuing them. Never stopped rescuing them. That's how much he cares for you today. And you might be in a place in your life today where you feel so far away from God. I want you to know that he's there for you and he wants you to turn to him. He's not here to beat you up, to point out all your sins. Can you imagine that? That would be a laundry list so long, we'd be here for five months trying to wade through all that stuff. That's not, that's not his desire. His desire is to clean you up, to set you on the right path, and to forgive you. That's the hope that we have in Jesus today. And what we're going to learn about God and his character through the book of Judges is God still worked through people in spite of all their messiness and dysfunction. See, we think this Bible is, many times we think the Bible is just God using perfect people. No, it's God using a lot of flawed people. And when you really begin to dig into it, you see that God works through all that stuff for his glory and for his purposes. So once again, God's not expecting you to be perfect. He didn't come for perfect people. He came for people that need him, that recognize their need for him and own their disobedience and own that they've fallen away from the Lord and they're asking God to redeem them and to bring them back. And God does restore us. So here's the takeaway today. Let me finish with this as Katie comes up. Let me finish with this. Here's the takeaway. Is there any part, I mean, really ask yourself this. And and I'll give you the litmus test of knowing, you know, how to ask the right questions so that you can be more self-aware of of maybe areas of your life that could could create issues for you with your walk with the Lord and and cause a hardness in your heart that God doesn't want. Ask yourself this in this takeaway. Is there any part of your life that you feel you're compromising? And then, and then ask yourself, what, what steps can you take to correct that? So here's, here's the litmus test f- for that. Um, as you read God's word, apply it to your life. You can't, you can't do a self-assessment on yourself unless you're looking at the right thing. See, if, if I'm looking at the world um, and what they do, I'm going to always pick the lowest common denominator to make myself look better. So what I mean by that, if I'm looking at the world, I'm saying, oh, well, look what they're doing. Oh, I must, look, I'm not doing those things. Look how good I am. It's not that bad, right? The moment you start justifying your actions, compromise. So I want you to wrestle with it. I mean, God's standard is there not to beat us up or to shame us or push us deeper into a dark cave, but to reveal the darkness that's in our hearts so that God can lead us out into the light and restore us so we don't have to walk in that shame any longer. See, that's what God desired for Israel. That's what God desires for you. And so just ask, and this isn't, you know, beat me up, beat me up. God just wants to beat me up and... You're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good, right? It's not that, okay? 
all you Linda Ronstadt fans from the 70s, right? It's not that. But what it is, is it's saying, God, I don't want anything to impede my relationship with you. Because I know it's the small things that can eventually germinate and grow into big things that could lead me away from you. And so that's why when you read through God's word, you do a self-assessment. And if there's something, because the Holy Spirit will convict us in the areas of our lives that God needs to work on. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? Aren't you glad that it's just a slow simmer that God does in our lives? Pardon, pardon, pardon. You know, it's just, he slowly but surely speaks to our hearts and the areas that we need to bring into obedience to him. God desires your obedience so much more than your sacrifice. That was the call to the children of Israel. God says, listen, you're going through all the religious motions. You're doing all this good stuff. But he goes, he goes that's all surfacey stuff that looks good on the outside. I want your heart. I want your obedience. I want all of you. So I'm glad you came to church today. That's a good thing. But are you obedient? Are you listening to his voice? So I want to pray for you today and realize that Jesus wants all of you because he loves you. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Father God, we just bow our hearts before you today and we thank you, God, that you're patient with us. God, you could have dealt with us so much more harshly. But instead of dealing with my sins the way they should be treated, you placed my sin on your son, Jesus. And he became my substitute. Your wrath was poured out on your son, Jesus, which should have been poured out on me, and that's how much you love us. Help us never to forget that. So Lord, I pray that our obedience and our holiness would not be driven out of self-righteousness, but would be driven out of our gratitude for what you've done for us, Jesus. The reason why you want us to listen to you and to obey you and to stay within the perimeters of your fences is because you don't want us to be hurt. You don't want anything to come between our relationship with you. So I pray, Lord, as we spend our alone time with you or other people that may speak into our hearts and our lives, I pray for a heart of sensitivity to your voice, to your calling, to that still, small whisper. When you say, Barden, that's not what I want for you. Barden, your attitude is wrong. Help us to listen to that still, small voice and then correct our ways to own our disobedience and to lay that at your feet. And it's there we find just so much of your grace and your forgiveness. And so we thank you that you don't leave us in a place of despair. You take us from that place and you take us into that realm of forgiveness and your grace that we so desperately need every single day. So Lord, I just pray that we would be a people that would hunger and thirst Just like the deer panteth for the water, may we be a people that hunger and thirst for your word and for your voice and for your presence. I thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that we would be a light in this community, 
that God is, as your grace continually envelops our life, I pray that that grace would be poured out into this lost world that so desperately needs a savior. So Lord, use us for your glory. I pray for just divine appointments every day, conversations with people that would point them to you, Lord. So God, thank you for changing us each and every day. And thank you for not leaving us the same. Thank you for your patience with us that continually changes us. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. And we want to be careful to ask all these things in your precious name. In your precious name. And all God's children said, amen.